The Apostle John. Oh, he's a little bit older right now. He, he's near the end of his life. End of his days. He's had such an impact all over. Such an impact that, that many times he calls, well, the flock. His children. He feels like he's been a dad, at least a spiritual father, who has challenged and encouraged and warned his little children in this letter. He has encouraged them to find joy in the fellowship with the Father and the Son. He has challenged them to walk in the light of God and stay close to Christ, which actually means obeying the Lord's commandments, loving others, and not the world. John also warned them, well, there's going to be some enemies of the faith, antichrists who literally... Well, deny that Jesus was the Messiah. (laughs) Once again, he exhorts them in our passage for today to abide in Christ and to pursue a righteous life as they live in the hope of Jesus' return. In other words, understanding what happens when we eventually see Jesus will transform our daily lives today. Let's pray before we jump into our passage. Father, we are so grateful to be able to meet together as God's people, to be able to lift your name up, to be able to take some bread and drink from the cup, to remind ourselves of your great love for us. We're entering a season, Lord, where where we begin to focus a little bit more on all you did, especially at the last days of your earthly life, and what you did for your disciples, and what you did for all of mankind, and what you did to absolutely proclaim victory in life for everyone who believes and trusts you. So God, we look forward to this time. But God, our hearts are heavy. It's hard not to think of the victims over in Ukraine and even in Russia. It's hard to understand the life of a refugee Or how children and families are absolutely being decimated. God, we don't understand all of the details here. We have limited knowledge of all the war and the pain and the death and the agony. But Lord, we know that especially during this conflict, everyone suffers but children. Children seem to take the hardest blow. God, we pray that you will be able to provide stable homes for these refugees and these families, for those who are separated from their loved ones. We pray, Father, that you would protect the children especially. 
that you would diminish perhaps the hatred in the hearts of the aggressors. We pray, Father, for the authorities on both sides. Lord, we know that each one of them are accountable to you ultimately. We pray that you would work in their lives and draw them to yourself and that your Holy Spirit would change their heart and that there would be compassion. We pray, dear Father, that you would pray for those who are struggling for some of the basics right now. Those that need food and water. Those who are just trying to find shelter. Oh, we pray, dear Father, that there would be safe delivery of human, of, of all the aid, all the groups, all those trying to reach out to bring a little less suffering. We ask you, dear Father, that you would um, be especially with those groups, and, and I think a Samaritan's Purse right now. And Lord, they have landed, and they have set up a hospital, and there are clinics, and they're not the only group, God. But in light of the tremendous amount of casualties... Their hospital beds are so limited. The doctors that are there have so, they're overwhelmed. The hospitals that are left, we pray, dear God, that you would give them grace and and especially those who do it in the name of Jesus that, that they would be able to proclaim the good news to everyone they take care of. We pray for the plethora of people, Lord, who are caregivers, and those who are assisting refugees, those not even in the country. We pray, Father, that you would encourage them and give them extra strength. We know that sleep and rest perhaps has been put aside for a week and 10 days and even longer. We pray, Father, for other organizations. We know that compassion has so many children they're concerned about. And as they reach out to their caregivers and their kids, we prayed last week, Father, for Awana and for Converge, two ministries that are involved. We don't know all the pressures that they have. But we do know, God, that you're there with them. We ask for your protection and your strength. We pray for peace, dear God. We pray that you would use all these situations and circumstances to draw your people and your church to yourself. And for those who are experiencing extreme sorrow and extreme loss, who are disoriented and discouraged beyond words, we ask that somehow, Father, you would come and you would comfort and you would encourage Lord, none of us are experiencing these things right now. Most of us have warm beds and food. We pray, though, God, that as you put people on our minds, that we would respond and that your church would rise up 
We pray, Father, for all those churches in this area right now, all those churches who are meeting, all those churches who are praising your name, all those churches who love you and are teaching your word to your kids and reminding them, just like we're reminding them of what your word has to say. We think especially, Father, of Grace Point and Orchard and New Hope. These are all fellow converged churches, all right in our area, God. We ask that you would strengthen them and encourage them. We think also, Father, not only our church, but all those who are downstairs today, all the kids who are learning about you, all the teachers who are teaching and loving and caring. We pray, dear God, that that our kids and our families would be strengthened because your word is going out. We ask right now, Father, as we open up 1 John, we know that John is pouring out his heart. We know his words are inspired by you. And we pray, Father, that there would be encouragement and conviction for all of us. We pray, Lord, that um, we would leave here different people, that our hearts would be softer, perhaps even broken, and that you would be honored. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the many versions. We thank you for the many Bibles. We thank you that we can go online with our pads and our phones and our computers. God, we are a blessed people. We thank you and ask that you would be glorified this day in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, would you turn your Bibles to 1 John? We're in chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 28, and we're going to go all the way through 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have Bibles, you can read on the screen behind us, but that's where we'll start off today. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. 
But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Right in the beginning, in verse 28... The Apostle John really sets up the next few verses. Let me read again, verse 28. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ. So then when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. John is reminding over and over and over again some truths, some basic truths. Remember, he is writing this letter a little bit more like a symphony, where movements continually come up and reminds us over and over again what's important to him and what's important to the church. And he says this, dear children, remain in me. This is so important that you stay in fellowship with me, that we do life together. And some of you even understand that we stay yoked up together. I want you to walk with Jesus, abide in Christ, so that you will be courageous, not filled with shame when you eventually meet Jesus. Let's look at these words again, or this word, remain, or walk, or abide. The Apostle John loves to use this word. It's a favorite concept for John. And it almost seems odd why he's making such a big deal of it if he's talking about a relationship. I mean, very few of you would encourage somebody and just remind them over and over again if they have a relationship Say, hey, make sure you stay with them. Make sure you have a date with them. Make sure you go out and enjoy them. It seems a little odd. Why would you do that? But for some reason, we who have this relationship with Jesus, because we put our faith in Christ's sacrifice, and we become a son or a daughter of God, sometimes get distracted. Sometimes we focus on other things. And John just wanted to make sure, hey, remain. Remain. In one of John's most, or or Christ's most famous speeches, and John records it for us in John chapter 15, many of you know, again, as we started off, that, that realistically, what 1 John is, is a commentary almost of the last few chapters in John. And, and 
we just celebrated the Lord's Supper, the time again where Jesus was with his disciples and sharing with his disciples his last words before he went to the garden and before he was crucified and before he was buried. And one of his most famous, most read speeches comes from John 15. And it's hard not to go back and just look at how important this word abide actually is. So I'm going to read from John 15, starting at verse 1. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned, he's talking to his disciples, and purified by the message I've given you. And here's his message, verse 4, same word. Remain in me. You again might think that Jesus would warn them or, or try to prepare them in different ways. But his last words were... <laughs> Things are going to get a little crazy. But I want you to remember one thing. Remain in me. And I, Jesus says, will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Second time. In just a few verses. Verse 5. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me. Those that stay connected to me. And I and them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But, verse 7, if you remain in me... My words remain in you. You may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, I mean, you remain in him. You are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to God, my father. It's so clear right here. But if we stay remaining with Jesus, we stay connected to the vine. We bear much fruit. And as we bear much fruit... Realistically, we bring great glory to God. He is so pleased. We reflect him well in all of the things we go. So many of you who have been around understand the two-circle diagram that I hand out. I have one in my Bible, and it's probably, again, the one diagram over the years of ministry I have used more with people, helping them or trying to help them understand how important it is to abide, to walk, to stay in fellowship with God. Now again, this diagram is not to be, uh, um, again, think it was at least inspired. But if you can look at it, it's helpful. And we have more of those in the rack in our lobby, and you're welcome to take one home But realistically, what happens when somebody comes to faith? They come to the cross. They trust Christ as their Savior. They immediately go into two circles. The top circle, they never leave. It's just called a 
position circle. Once you're a son, once you're a daughter of God, you truly are, always. But the part we struggle with and the part we're going to be talking about today is the walk circle. You stay in this circle. You are abiding in him. You are connected with him. You are bearing fruit. You're able to pray and he hears you. You're responding to him. But, as you can see, there's a lower black arrow. (laughs) And if you sin, or shall we say when you sin, or when I sin, we come out of that circle. And literally, we're disconnected now. We're not connected. The Spirit has no ability to control us. Our prayers are void until we confess our sin. We talked about this in the beginning of the study. First John chapter 1 verse 9. What an amazing verse. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At that moment then we enter back into the walk. We're reconnected. We're able to bear fruit. We're able to live abundantly. We're being able to be led by the Spirit. Now, what John basically is reminding everybody again is remaining in fellowship means quite the celebration when Christ returns in our first few verses here. Jesus will return, my friends. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul writes these words. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. And then Paul writes, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. This is not the great white throne judgment. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. When believers stand before him, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. What we do know is this, is that Jesus will hold all of his kids accountable, which basically is not an issue for those who abide in him. Just so you know, it's not something fearful. It's something wonderful and joyful. John paints the picture here that no one will stand before our Lord, or excuse me, that we will all stand before our Lord either courageously or shamefully. Now, i got to be honest, I'm not sure how this works as we see glimpses of glory, glimpses of heaven, but I know that God is going to look at this scenario and situation well because he's perfectly just. I do know this, that it matters how we live. Abiders learn from Jesus, do what is right, and live fruitful lives. I think what John is just trying to say is once you're God's child and you hang out with God and you listen to God, you're going to live a little bit differently. Now this next text is unbelievable. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Let me read. See how very much our Father loves us. That should catch your attention. It just should. 
For he calls us children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all those who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. The very first line, God loves us. In fact, John writes in a very peculiar way. He goes, see how very much our Father loves us. The modifier, the Greek word right here, speaks of something that comes from another country. In other words, maybe you could translate it exotic or extraordinary. In fact, I probably would translate it this way. Behold, what extraordinary love, what exotic love, what kind of love that is so hard to even imagine the Father has poured on us. In other words, God crazy loves us. It's something to meditate on. It's something to ponder. Because if you and I each have an honest look in the mirror, I mean, you may be a really sharp person, a really funny person, a really wonderful person, but really, God would do all this for me? He would love me like he does? Now, Paul knew that understanding God's love is not going to be an easy thing because there's nothing like it. I mean, we toss love around all the time. You know, I love barbecue and I love hamburgers. You know, I'm I'm not so sure this is the love God is talking about right here, you know. But Paul's prayer was actually to the Ephesian church who actually were a bunch of believers that knew God well. They were a mature bunch of people. They had walked with God for a long time. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 16, this is what Paul prays. It's recorded for us. Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, we will impart excuse me, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. He's praying that your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. That this experience or understanding God's love is something that strengthens you for the journey. And he continues, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. He's praying that we would understand God's love as we're going to understand. But he also made this little comment. He goes, everybody can be on this journey. You may not totally understand as we're going to find, but you can understand some. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. It almost sounds like a valentine, doesn't it? You know? But God's valentine is unbelievable. And then is what he prays. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's 
too great to understand fully. May you have an understanding that the Holy Spirit will give you on how much God loves you. Because if you do, look at the last few lines. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Experiencing God's love means a life of fullness and power. God's love is greater than anything we know. Anything but casual. It was one of the things that Brendan asked us to think about as we had the bread and the cup. God, what made you do this? Why did you do this? God, you gave up your life for me? It doesn't make sense. I know how I treat you, God. I know how unfaithful I've been, God. I I do. Why? Why? Why am I so special? Why is this relationship so important? God, why? God's love is greater than anything we know. And it's anything, as I said, but casual. God's children who abide in him, who understand this, who want to spend time with him, who experience God's love and reflect Jesus well, we actually become more like Jesus. We act like Jesus. He chips away those things that, well, are offensive to him. And we begin to mirror Jesus wherever we go. This is unbelievable. But then John declares that something inconceivably wonderful is waiting for us. And we may not get it all. But he goes, someday we're going to see Christ and we will be like Jesus. In other words, all this chipping, all this refinement, all this, well, taking on Christ's character. It's all going to culminate Once we shut our eyes and we see Jesus. This is the hope of every believer. In fact, all of creation. I had to go to Romans chapter 8. And I put it on the screen and I know it's rather small. Maybe you can open your Bibles. You can follow along. You can take this in your notes. But I think it's important that we understand what the apostle was trying to say here. He says this, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. This is something God's going to do. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in a glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. 
For we, believers, long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so his son would be the firstborn among many brothers or sisters. You see, understanding these truths motivate us toward purity. This is what we are going to end up being like. God's love and promises change the way that we live today. Let's go back to 1 John. Look at verse 4. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Anyone who continues to live in him, abide in him, will not sin. Well, if we stop right there, we know we sin. What is, what is John getting at right here? Well, I think, again, understanding the Greek tenses here brings some clarity, helps us understand. In this passage, all the verbs related to sin are all in the present tense, which just simply means this. It indicates continuous and habitual action. In other words, John is not referring to an occasional act of sin, but established and continual patterns of sinful behavior. Believers will sometimes sin, even willfully, but they will not and cannot sin habitually, persistently, and as a way of life. When the Holy Spirit draws sinners to God, he regenerates them, and he grants them eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. They are recreated to obey his word, to follow Christ, to reject temptations of the world, and display the fruits of righteousness in their lives. I believe you can run from God, but if you are a son or daughter of God, you will also be chastised by God, according to Hebrews 12. So any sin brings death and disconnects us with God. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. But sin is rebellion against God. And it's this reoccurring, irrational impulse to do anything other than obey God. Sin is a Christian's enemy. And it removes the believer from light. John is pounding this hammer into this nail. He knows that sin destroys. He knows that sin disrupts. He knows that sin brings death. 
It must be resisted. It cannot be tolerated. And where failure occurs, sin must be confessed to the Lord. The purpose and intent of a believer always remains the same, to abide with Christ and not sin. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. But when any believer should fail and will fail and commit sin, they should never deceive themselves about it nor lie about their actions. The response into a lapse into sin is not to deny it, but to seek the forgiveness of God, which is available through Jesus Christ. And then he says something in verse 8. It's a little hard to understand. Verse 8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Jesus came. And this is such good news. To take away our sins and its authority in our lives. So if sin reigns and goes unchecked, it actually shows whose father you are. Though we might have hoped that Christ would have obliterated (laughs) Satan. He didn't. Well, wouldn't it have been nice? Wouldn't it have been nice that, hey, he just kind of destroyed Satan and... But Christ came to undo Satan's work and thereby free people from sin and its awful consequences. The word behind destroy does not mean annihilate. It rather means to break down or to undo or to render ineffective. John Stott would say this. In other words, the works of the devil have been deprived of force, rendered inoperative, conquered, and overthrown. That today is good news, my friends. Because anything that has to do with sin destroys us. It destroys fellowship. It destroys community. It destroys. And we don't have to follow that master anymore. Now in the end, we must all admit that the greatest tensions in a Christian life is the presence of sin. Though believers are absolutely and totally forgiven for sin... Satan is relentless. Christ died to deliver the redeemed from sin's guilt and now lives to save believers from sin's power. You see, regenerated people are new creations in Christ and have an awareness of God, a desire for God, and a responsiveness to God. 
You see, the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in believers' lives, purifying and cleansing us from the pollution and the uncleanness of sin, renewing God's kids in his image, chipping away everything that blurs Jesus. Now, this lifelong renovation of our lives by the Holy Spirit as we yield to God happens, as I said, over a lifetime. But such a cooperative effort between the believer and the Holy Spirit is called sanctification, which we talk about so much here from this pulpit. The opportunity we have to reflect God and eventually when we close our eyes and we see Jesus and we see who he is and we are made like him, it will give you goosebumps. So what is John saying today? Remain in fellowship. Remain in me. Stay connected to the vine. Do life with me. And let me change your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We look at a passage like this. And it seems so simple, but it also seems hard. We wonder why we run from you so often when the consequences are ugly. Lord, you want us to stay with you, to listen to you, to respond to your word and to your spirit. So God, give us courage not to listen to the enemy's lies. Would we, Father, as we remain in you, confess our sin quickly, repent often, recognize again, Lord, that life is experienced as we understand your love and hang on to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this love. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We're overwhelmed. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.